by way of introduction, I, I didn't put the doctor up there on my introduction. I am one, but I only use that. I've, for all my ministry, I've taught in colleges or universities and pastored at the same time. And um, I do use the doctor label when I'm teaching a college class because I want my students to fear me. But in a pastoral setting, I'm not quite so concerned about that. So Stan or Pastor Stan is, is just fine. And it's, it's, it's good to be here. Um, I do believe that the last Sunday in February I'm scheduled to be here also. Uh, this next Thursday, we, we, uh, we came down from Oregon. And, uh, but I'll tell you, I, 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 lived in, I pastored in Nevada for 15 years, Calvary Community in Las Vegas. Um, but I'm an Oregonian at heart, and we've got a place right near the coast, and uh, so we go up there whenever we can. I uh, officially retired in end of June of this year and moved back here to be close to family. I've got a brother and sister and nieces and nephews here. I've got three out of five kids here, 10 out of 14 grandkids here, and then I've got a daughter in Oklahoma, and uh, two grandsons there, and two great-grandkids now, a great-grandson and great-granddaughter, and then a son in Wyoming. That's where I like to go in the fall, went hunting with them there this year. You can still get tags there easy. It used to be when I lived here in Nevada, we got tags easy each year, but now I hear it's getting hard. So anyway, here we are. So this is a new adventure for me. Uh, I'm still teaching adjunct at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, uh, but not in person there now. I was there for a time, and you don't care about all that. But um, anyway, I've always taught and pastored. It's just always, almost always been that way. Um, but now I guess I'm an itinerant evangelist, and so I'm learning that. I moved back here, and I know a number of the pastors. I, I actually was the presbyter of Southern Nevada uh, towards the end of the time that I pastored here, and so I still know a number of the pastors. And um, so I've been speaking at churches all January. Last week was the only Sunday I had off, and that's because I was sick. And um, so the reason I say all that is this is a new experience because I've spoken at a large church, two medium-sized churches, and now this will be the second small church, and they all are different. Now, when you're pastoring, your congregation has a personality, and especially if you're knowing them, you kind of know where they are um, in terms of the composition of the, of the church. But the large church I pastored in is a multi, or spoke in, is a multiracial church, Trinity Life Center in Las Vegas. And uh, the pastor told me, we're very purple here. It's a, uh, a, a multi-ethnic um, church. And almost all of the um, African Americans in the church are cobalt blue Democrats. But then there are a lot of ruby red Republicans. And then I went to another church and I was told that our congregation here is uh, purple. Uh, and so I guess that's what Trinity was too. And then there are some people in the churches that are colorblind. They just could care less about politics and that sort of thing. And so you just learn to calibrate your message for uh, who you're speaking to. Um, and so um, 
If I, if I miss your mark today, it's because I don't know you very well, and uh, just blame it on the Holy Spirit. It's surprising what you will say when you are under the anointing, isn't it? So anyhow, um, but what I want to speak on this morning is um, looking forward in our lives. Now, whatever stage of life we're in, uh, you're never to be just static. I heard just, and I'm learning this in retirement. I'm going through a uh, change of seasons in my life, and I'm learning, as some of you are retired, that in many ways you're more busy once you're retired than you were before you were retired. And um, But I heard just something. I was listening to one of my favorite television pastors this morning. Has anybody here ever listened to um, David Jeremiah? Uh, I just think he's a great preacher. And this morning he said something. Uh, he was talking about uh, moving forward, and it kind of resonated with some of the things I'm going to say today. But he was talking about as you, uh, when you even when you're retired, you're not to keep moving forward. You stay, stay busy. And there was this wife, and her husband was retired, and he wasn't doing anything. And so uh, he had one day where he just did nothing but just kind of was a couch potato and sitting around. And, and uh, she said, what are you going to do today, honey? And he said, well, nothing. And she said, well, that's what you did yesterday. He said, I know, but I'm not finished with that yet. So, <laughs> so anyhow, the title of the message this morning is God's Word and journey into the unknown. Um, this is not the right slide. Uh, it, should be, it should be a title, God's Word and Journey into the Unknown. I really appreciate Anna helping me here today, but I uh, sent everything I had over on PowerPoint, and they have to convert it to the system they have here. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. I'll, 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 we'll be fine. And so there's some, th- uh, so, 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 some different things here. Uh, just leave it there, and we'll just, go, the, the title of the message anyway, so this will be a, um, um, treat it like a dress rehearsal, since we're changing programs here right now, but the title of the message is this, God's Word and Journey into the Unknown, and I'm going to ask you to multitask here as you're listening this morning, because there's going to be two landings for this message today. The first landing is how that might apply to the unknown in your life. We're at the start of a new year, um, and we're facing crossroads. We've never been this way before. But then as a people in our, uh, in our nation, I think we're on a journey into the unknown as well. And so I want us to think about this, and this will unfold as I speak here for the next few moments, but there are things happening in our country that we've never been this way before. And so there's a passage of scripture I came across some time ago, and it just seemed to fit. And so if we can go to that uh, Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And uh, in the PowerPoint I sent over, there were certain red-letter words there. They're not here, and so I'm just going to stress them to you. But let me give you the setting of this uh, story here first. 
The year is approximately, give or take a generation or so, 1300 B.C. And the Israelites have been led out of Egypt by Moses and by the Lord on, into their new destination, the Promised Land. Now the Lord had performed miracles. There was the parting of the Red Sea. There was water out of the rock. There was manna that was supplied. There was miracle after miracle. And the promised land they were moving into was really promising. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And there had been ten spies that had been sent out 40 years ago, by the way, to spy in that land. And they came back saying, sure enough, it is just flowing with milk and honey. However, there are strong, large, protective people in that land. And they're not going to let us come in and take it. That was the report back by ten of those spies that went out. There was Joshua and Caleb, and you know uh, that they were the two that said, well, if God's in it, we can do it. I think we can, we can do it. But the people sided with the ten. And so the Israelites, and you know this story, they did 39 years worth of laps more around Mount Sinai until that generation died out and a new generation raised up to move into the promised land. And so here they are now. Moses is gone. Joshua, who had been one of those spies that said we can do it, he's now the leader of the people. And there's another body of water they need to cross. This one's much less deep and wide. This is the Jordan River. When they cross the Jordan, they will have set foot in the promised land. And so here they are, ready to take gulp, a step of faith, and venture into the unknown. And these are the words, and I'm just going to highlight a couple of things since it's not in red here. And because um, I'm going to come back to these in just a moment. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing. After three days, and the three days, I want you to take note of that, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see, underline the Ark of the Covenant and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to underline it, move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know, underline that phrase, which way to go, and here's the key, since you have never been this way before. Underscore that. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between yourself and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, but consecrate yourselves. Take note of those two words. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Look at that last phrase. Okay, let's go to the next slide, and let's decode this message right now. The first thing I want you to take note of, and it's not even stated in the text that I just read, is God is large and in charge. He has a plan. We don't have the advantage of eternal perspective. Now, here's a mind-boggler for you for just a second. Do you realize that for God, the past is 
is not something that is no longer. The future is not something that is not yet. But God is eternal. He existed before even time was created. Got a scripture for that one. The very first words of Genesis 1. In the beginning. In the beginning of what? Time. Because God is eternal and he occupies and transcends all time. Now we don't have that vantage point, do we? The future is something that is very much unknown for us. And we come across things and we've never been that way before. And it can be very um, fear striking within our hearts and our lives. But no number one, as we decode this message, God is already in your future. Here's something that will really tickle your brain. In a very real sense, from God's vantage point, we know the Lord. You and I have already died and gone to heaven, but we're just not there yet. Because we are already there in the mind and in the plan of God. So these Israelites were heading out into the unknown. But it was not an unknown to God. Wait. In my PowerPoint notes, I underlined wait. Am I the only one in this room this morning that has a problem with becoming impatient sometimes? Well, I'll tell you what. My wife tells me over and over again, Stan Stewart, there's a lot of things I love about you. And you have some strengths. But you've got to learn to be more patient. God knew what he did when he matched up up together because she is just very long on patience. It's tempting sometimes to lurch out and lunge ahead rather than waiting the three days or the three months or the three years that we have. But we need to wait upon the Lord to open the doors, don't we? Third thing here is learn, and this plugs into your life, learn to utilize God's means of grace. The Jews had means of grace. Means of grace is something tangible through which the supernatural word and power and reality of God can speak and act into our lives. The Jews, they just had a tent tabernacle that traveled with them. They had the Ark of the Covenant. And that was to go with them wherever they went. Notice, and I read that text there, they weren't to get ahead of the Ark. They were to follow the Ark. Inside of that Ark were the Ten Commandments. Inside of that Ark was Aaron's rod that budded. Inside of that Ark was a pot of manna that was there. All of these, one, was the word of God that was to lead and guide their life, the Ten Commandments, and then reminders of the faithfulness of God in the past. And then there was the Levitical priesthood. God had established those in ministry that would be the spiritual guides for the people as they moved into the land. And God had provided a leader. He was there. Joshua, the prophet of God that was going to lead them. 
Now, we have means of grace today that we're to utilize and to consult as we stare into the unknown. Ah, I see most of you are holding one of those means of grace in your hand right now. It's the Bible. Isn't it a miraculous thing? You've all had this happen. You know, it's not just the printed page that is the Word of God. That's divinely assembled by God, and and it's His written Word, but it's how the Spirit speaks through that written Word and comes to life in your light. It comes to light in your life. I I guess I'm slightly dyslexic here this morning. And it becomes God's word. How many of you had, have had a verse of scripture? You might have read it dozens of times before. But you read it this time, and it clicks and resonates in your life. How many of you had that happen to you? That's a means of grace. We're sitting here in this beautiful building today. It's a means of grace. It's the church. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are a community of faith. And to your credit, even without Joshua, a Joshua to lead you right now as a pastor, you're holding together. And this means of grace is something that you, where you draw your support and your help and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You know, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the worship this morning. I'm used to always having live worship. And that's great. But you know, I got blessed just by singing off the wall. Those that were here today. So make use of the means of grace. Then you will know. It's after we have waited. It's after we have sought the Lord. And listened to the means through which he speaks. Then we know. And we begin to step out through the open doors in our life. There's a couple other things that are going to come up here right now. Then you step out in faith. How many of you know the, the, the saying, seeing is believing? I think in a spiritual sense, it's backwards. Believing is seeing for us as Christians. Our faith has to be exercised first before we see what it is we're pursuing. Now, there are people that are very cautious, very conservative. They never, they never want to step out anywhere if they haven't seen it first. And I'm telling you, they're going to miss some of the best things God wants to do in their life. Because believing first is the first step in seeing what God has in store for us. If these Jews did not believe before they stepped across the Jordan that dried up before them as they stepped across, they never would have seen the Holy Land. Now there might be something unknown ahead of you right now and you're fearful about it. You know, All courage is, really, is faith that has said its prayers. And that's what gives us the courage to step out and to move. The next to the last thing is to consecrate yourself. Purify yourself. 
I'm telling you, I've learned this in my own life. You've learned it in your life. I've seen it in the life of others. You've got to focus on seeing what it is and where it is God is leading and what the door is that he's opening for you. I just don't believe that God very often leads us if we're very casual and haphazard and uncommitted and unpurified in our life. You know one of the favorite sayings of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, one of the favorite ones of mine anyway, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the consecrated. Blessed are the purified. And I've wondered, this is just me. I have no book I've read or anything. that This is just a hunch. I wonder if as Jesus spoke those words in the Sermon on the Mount, if he wasn't thinking of his mother Mary. She was chosen, at least in part, because of her purity, wasn't she? That pure-in-heart woman literally bore and saw and held in her arms the Son of God. Had she not been pure in heart and had the courage to take that step into the unknown, the virgin birth, would she have ever seen God? And then finally, expect a miracle. Because God does extraordinary things when we have set out in the unknown and we followed this little recipe for success that we find right here in these verses in Joshua. I'm going to tell you the story, true story of this. There's a young man that I know. He's 39 years old now. I've known him for years and I've been, I've been something of a mentor in his life. I knew him as, uh, as a kid in high school uh, when we pastored here before. And we stayed in touch in the 18 years now that I've been gone. And we'll just call his name Ron. And Ron was a young man. He grew up in the church. But like a lot of us, he kind of strayed from his faith and his walk with the Lord as a teenager. He was popular. He was good looking. And he had a lot going for him. And he just got, he just fell away from the Lord in his life. And he made some bad choices. Fell in love with the wrong woman. Got married. She was not a godly woman. The marriage didn't work, but they had a beautiful daughter. His wife left him for another man. She is now 36 years old and she's burning through her fifth marriage. But she took his daughter with her and tried to cut off all contact. What did I say his name was? Ron? And he paid all of his child support. He tried to have the visitation rights, but she ripped it all away from him. He spent 20, over $20,000 in legal fees, trying to have access to his daughter and contact with her. His wife, ex-wife, poisoned her against her dad. And after years, three years, he has not even seen her. And he told me, because I made contact with him when we came back, he said, I just, I just have to leave it in the Lord's hands. In the meantime, 
Ron has remarried. She's a godly woman. They have two beautiful daughters of their own. But something in his heart always yearned and wondered where his daughter is now. And in my daily prayer times, just as a matter of prayer, since I've been in touch with Ron for all these years, I've just prayed for his daughter. Lord, just keep her. Keep her safe and bring her back to her father someday. And that's the way it was until, oh, it, wasn't, it was in the fall. We hadn't been back very long. And he called. He said, you're not going to believe what has just happened. Now, now here's, he, he followed, not, not even consciously, these steps. He got his life cleaned up. He's been going to worship with his wife and family. Uh, he's a good worker. He's just transformed as a human being. But he told me, he said, I just have to leave my daughter in the Lord's hands. And I don't think I'm even going to see her again for another two years. I got a call. He said, my wife, ex-wife, has been thrown in jail. And my daughter is in a foster home right now. It's in another state. Child Protective Services called me and told me to come and have custody of my daughter. And it had been three weeks before that I talked to Ron. And he told me, I won't even see her for another ten years, or two years. And three weeks later, he was driving to Arizona to bring his daughter home. She's doing wonderfully now. Expect a miracle when you are putting things together the way the Lord wants you to put them together. When you've never been that way before, or when you're heading into the unknown. So keep that. I want you to keep that thought that I've just shared with you now. And we're going to shift gears now. And we're going to look at God's word and biblical prophecy. Okay? Well, this is fine. Okay? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so the question I want to leave with you is what journey into the unknown are you staring at right now? Is there something before you? Or is there a certain fear? I've never been this way before. And maybe it's just changing season of life. Maybe it's a physical condition. Maybe you've lost your job. You can fill in the blanks. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments, but I want to shift gears now and look at biblical prophecy and the unknown. Because we are living in prophetic days right now. And there is an unknown that is looming ahead of us. And I can honestly say, and uh, I can honestly say this, that as a nation, we have never been this way before. And there are things that are changing around about us right now. Now, I've learned this, and I, I, I don't want to keep you forever. Oh, the good news for me is there's no clock in here, so the uh, only thing I know is I want to be home at 3 because I'm a 49ers fan, and I want to make sure I watch that football game uh, today. So if it's after... Th oh, there is a clock there, so... Am I good for another 20 minutes or so? Okay, all right. Um, 
How many of you here have been a Christian and in the church for years? Can I see your hand? Okay, lots of you. How many of you have lived through uh, a period of time where well-intentioned pastors stood up here, they might have unfurled their prophecy charts across the platform, and have told you about when the rapture is going to come and who the Antichrist is, and they've tried to set dates and fill in all the prophetic blanks for you. Have any of you besides me lived through that? I'm the only one. No, you have two. I'm not going to set dates. I'm not going to identify the Antichrist. I'm not going to tell you when the rapture is. But I am going to tell you that time and again throughout Christian history, or even in the Old Testament. You see, in the New Testament, we call it the second coming of Christ. In the Old Testament, they called it the day of the Lord. But that was all pointing towards the end times. And there have been prophetic seasons in the history of our world, in which a pitched battle between the forces of Satan and evil have raised up and confronted the spiritual truth in the kingdom of God. And I call those revelation generations, where there's been that collision that has happened. And one of these days, and I'll tell you, the table is set for it now, I will say that, I can say this with 100% certainty. We are closer to the end now than we were 2,000 years ago. And it might be before lunch today. And then I wouldn't get to watch the 49ers play. So anyway, what can I say? So Lord, please just tarry. Unless the 49ers are going to lose. Then you can go ahead and come now. But anyhow, are there any Ram fans here? You came from Southern California, maybe... You're a Rams fan? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. Okay. But, but anyway, this is what I want you to understand, that there have been times and seasons in history where this battle between the forces and good of evil have reached an intense state. And I call that a revelation generation. One of these days, in all caps and red letters, there is going to be the Revelation generation. And that might be what we are on the cusp of now. But we don't know. But that said, we are in a Revelation generation now. That there's something happening and churning in our world and in our own country right now. Now, time and again throughout history, God has raised up, I'm calling them Redeemer Nations. The first of these redeemer nations was Israel. Israel was chosen by God. Uh, They became the bearers of the law of God that was intended for all humanity. Here's an interesting little fact. It's a tradition in Jewish theology and thinking, but it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture. That when Moses came down from the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai... And he spoke the Ten Commandments. That as he spoke it, it was heard in 70 different languages. Why? Because this was intended to be the law of God, not just for the people of Israel, but for all people. And Israel was a redeemer nation. Israel gave us Abraham, Moses, gave us the prophets, gave us the Bible, 
gave us the star of stars, Jesus. Gave us the Apostle Paul. Gave us all of these things. And the whole story of salvation has revolved around Redeemer Nation Israel, hasn't it? It's not the only Redeemer Nation there's been. You probably don't even know about this one. In the 5th and 6th century, an obscure little emerald isle island nation, we know it as Ireland today, was a Redeemer Nation. A couple of generations before this, St. Patrick had evangelized Ireland. And the island isle had converted. And it became a center of education and training. And monastic communities were, were established throughout Ireland. And missionaries went out from those monasteries in Ireland. Evangelized those crazy pick Scots in Scotland. Went across the English Channel. And evangelized those pagan Germanic tribes. There was a book written about it a few years ago. It was a bestseller. It was entitled, How the Irish Saved Civilization. It was a Redeemer Nation. In your Western Civ classes, you might have heard of Charlemagne. How many have ever heard of Charlemagne and the Holy Roman Empire? He was the point man for a Redeemer Nation. He brought architecture, notation of music, education, evangelized the Germanic tribes and consolidated Western Europe into a Christian nation. He held off the onslaught of Islam as it was trying to march into Europe and take over Europe. He, it was a Redeemer nation. I could go on. One more Redeemer nation I want to mention. And it has its roots in the year 1630, somewhere in the waters of the Atlantic between England and Massachusetts Bay. There was a flotilla of 11 ships with a thousand or so Puritans on board. And John Winthrop, who was the leader of this group, preached a message that was one of those seminal defining messages that kind of set the course for what was the colony then, but for America. It was entitled City on a Hill. And he talked about, and, and he could not have possibly had a vision of, of what all was really embedded in what he was saying. He thought the Puritans were coming to this world to be a light that would shine back across the Atlantic to a very apathetic England and be an example of Christian living for the countrymen back home. But really God had a broader vision than that because what happened in a very real way the Puritans kind of defined the core of the American spirit when they settled here. And America, for all of her flaws, has been a redeemer nation for the last 100, 150, 200 years. Now I know we're not perfect But neither was Israel, neither was Ireland, neither was Charlemagne, and neither are you. This nation or a nation can never be perfect as long as you or I are living in it. Because we're all sinners saved by grace, aren't we? But that said, God has used America in an extraordinary way.
What would this world be like if it was not for America? Missions, orphanages, standing up to injustice. What if there was no America to stand up to Adolf Hitler or to stare down the evil communist empire? Democracy, health care. I, mean, I could just go on and on. It's been a great nation and I'm proud to be part of it and I think you are too. But America is in the crosshairs today. There is an effort to wrench us away from the roots and the heritage that we have as Americans. There's a very concerted effort. I'm just reading about this now. The Great Reset. How many of you have heard of the Great Reset? It is an effort to try to strip us out of everything we've ever known or been, to de-Christianize America and the West, and to try to redefine it after the evil imaginations of sinful men. Here's one of the things that is so wrong today. One of the reasons why these supposedly well-intentioned efforts to reset can never work. Have you ever noticed that the resetters are arrogant and have no sense of their own fallen nature? And unless we understand that we are all sinners, we're never going to get it right. A lack of humility, a lack of awareness of their own sin in their own lives. And what we're dealing with right now is spiritual warfare. Now there's another verse of scripture. I'm thinking it's the next one up here in Ephesians. Here we go. Paul has this to say in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now there are evil men and there are evil organizations. And I'm hearing more and more about a group of men, and I suppose women are involved in it too, that are deliberately trying to accomplish this great reset and they've been doing it for the better part of a hundred years. But I'm telling you, they are working in cooperation with their satanic Unmajesty, because there's something diabolical behind this. And that's, and, and there are incredible things that are happening in our world right now. You know, look in the last year in our country. Look at what has happened to our foreign policy. We've got Iran, we've got North Korea, we've got China, we've got Russia. Look at lawlessness within our own land. Look what's happening. Did any of you watch the widow of the slain policeman in, um, in New York? What she said in St. Patrick's Cathedral. I mean, telling you, it was heart-wrenching. Look at inflation that's happening in our country. Look at what's happening in our schools. Trying to completely rewrite the curriculum. And I'm telling you, 
These are things that are built on lies. And it doesn't even speak for the majority of people in our country. I don't know if you're aware of this stuff. In, you know, in some ways, you're living in a very idyllic community here. Little old Overton. It seems pretty Main Street, pretty Mayberry-like to me. But I'm sure it's creeping even into the Wapa Valley here. And it looks like we're just outnumbered. I'm telling you, we're not outnumbered, but the deck is stacked against us now. I believe Satan has been behind this, but he has had plenty of minions of hell working with him. They've taken over Hollywood. They've taken over the financial world. They've taken over large corporations. They have control of many state houses and government. They're trying to control education. What do we do? So the question is, is this a revelation generation that we're living in now? And I think the answer to that is, yes, it is. And as the body of Christ, we need to wake up and realize that we are soldiers in the Lord's army that need to be a voice speaking up against this. The question is, with all of these things coming down around us right now, is there any real hope? The answer to that is, yes, there is. There is hope. Now, there's a passage of Scripture in Ezekiel. Uh, We are called to be a watchman. I'll just read this verse, but I want to encourage you just to read the verses following it today. This was a day of the Lord generation in the Old Testament what I would call a revelation generation today. The Jews had been carried into Babylonian captivity. They were now in exile. Jerusalem was in ruins. The temple was destroyed. And God said to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. And you read the verses that follow that and see how the Lord may speak to you about that. But we have to stand up to what's happening and not just wring our hands. And let's don't make the mistake. that I'm very Pentecostal. If you cut me, I bleed AG colors. And there's lots of things about growing up Pentecostal, Simmons of God, that I'm just so thankful for. But we were a little too fixated on the rapture of the church, and we dismissed how God can work great things even this side of the rapture. Because there have been many times when God has restored the faith of a people and rebuilt them again. It happened in Israel. It happened in our own country. Have any of you ever heard of the first great awakening? Do you know that at the time of the first, uh, the American Revolution, I say first one because we need another one right now, only 5% of the American population were members of any churches at all? And there was the Great Awakening that occurred, and things changed, and America was born and found its footing. Well, that's a a discussion for another time, but it is a fact. And so we need to realize that that we need to rise up and we want the Lord to come. I want him to come in the clouds of glory. But if he's not coming in the clouds of glory yet, 
Let him come into our world and into our nation and let's have a time of revitalization of faith. Because I don't think it's a, it's, it's a given that God is done with Redeemer Nation America yet. Now there are five points here. I'm going to leave you with these and then I'm done. Five things I think we need to do. The first one is pray. And I came across this passage of scripture just two or three weeks ago. I'd never really noticed it before, but it's self-explanatory. Let me, let me just say, Israel has fallen. They are living in pagan Babylon. They are a people in exile. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah said to them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. There should be another slide on there. Okay. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you prosper. Now, you may not like who God has governing over us right now. And I'll tell you, I just have a hunch that I'm speaking mostly to ruby red people and cobalt blue people here right now. I'm not sure, but I'm going to risk it. Okay. I have to pray for our present administration through gritted teeth. Because I just, in my flesh, do not want anything good to come of it. Our administration is no more godless than administration of Babylon. But you pray for them. Because when they prosper, you prosper. Pray in your daily prayers. And I've been convicted of this myself as a part of my daily prayer regimen. I pray for God's blessing on President Biden. I do. Lord, speak to him. He professes to be a Christian. We've got to pray for them. The power of prayer can bring breakthroughs. And the best thing would be for those that are a part of this cabal that are trying to hit the great reset button to literally have a come to Jesus moment, wouldn't it? And so we pray for that. A second thing is live not by lies. I'll just paraphrase this, but you might want to read these verses yourself. John, uh, in chapter 8, it's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And he says that they are fathers, followers of their father, who is Satan. They follow Satan, who is the father of lies. And when he speaks lies, he is speaking his native language. 
And I'm telling you right now that there are lies that are being peddled in our country today. And they have to be satanically inspired. Understand this about a lie. A lie is something that contains absolutely nothing. That's what makes it a lie, isn't it? The only power a lie can have is if we believe in the illusion that it creates and then it can destroy. You're being destroyed by something that is nothing in content. But what a power it has. How many of you have ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Remember the wizard? All the way down the yellow brick road, they wanted to meet the wizard. When they finally saw the wizard, were they impressed? No. He's just a little old man that is pushing buttons and pulling levers and creating an illusion of power. That's who Satan is. Understand this about Satan. He's stronger than you. He's stronger than me. But he is completely under control of God. Look at the book of Job. Have you ever wondered how is it that Satan has access to the throne room of God to get permission to punish or torture Job? He could not do it without the permissive will of God. Somehow, in all of this that we're going through right now, God is still large and in charge. And understand this. That father of lies is just God's useful idiot, Satan. And the only power he gains is what we believe he has. And the lies that are being told in our country, in our world, to our students today, we have to stand up to that. A third thing is find your voice. I'm thinking of the book of Daniel right now, the first three chapters. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they had it made in exile. They were chosen. They were prosperous. If they would just keep their mouths shut, they would have great successful lives, but they would not do it. They would not be silent in terms of who their God was and following what he asked them to do. And there are those today, and, and this is happening. You can sense it. There is a pushback that is beginning in our country right now. It's gaining momentum. You may not hear it on the evening news because they try, they're part of this whole cabal. Many that are there. I don't think they're intentionally a part of it, but they've been swept up in this lying spirit that is trying to dismantle and destroy. One of the things, this is just hot off the press. I think I saw it first on Friday. I love what the truckers in Canada are doing right now. And you know, there's a good chance that truckers in the United States are going to do the same thing. If good people, godly people, rise up, we can push back this cabal. Find your voice. I have an attorney, a, a friend of mine. He's a prominent attorney in Las Vegas. He was in the church when I pastored there years ago. And we're reconnecting regularly now. And he's, and he's very concerned about how, as a prominent lawyer, 
He can stand up to some of this wokeism that's in the court system in Las Vegas right now. We had, it's been a month or so ago when we met and he told me this. He said, you know, you know, Pastor Stan? He said, in court, I was trying a case and there was a man that called himself a Christian that was trying to give some kind of a defense of himself in the name of the Lord. And he said, I stood up in court and I said, listen, sir, I am a Christian too. And on the basis of my Christian faith, I'm telling you, this is what you're doing wrong. And I said, good for you, Tim. And he's doing that more and more now. He said, there was a time when I just didn't want to speak up because so many of the woke attorneys around me would put me down, but he said, you know, I don't care anymore. Find your voice. The third thing, am I on the third or fourth one here? Power of small groups. Think of the early church. You know, this is New Hope Christian Center here in Overton. You know, we need to get our front yard looking a little better out here, but we've got a beautiful facility and there's just a handful of us. Don't ever underestimate the power of small groups. I've visited the Holy Land. I've visited Greece and Turkey where the early churches were and I've visited the ruins of some of those early house churches that were there. Some of them didn't have as many people in their church as you have in yours. But that's where it began in changing the course of Western civilization and world history. The power of small groups. I have a daughter-in-law in Wyoming, my youngest son's wife. And they're a part of a Baptist church back there, but that's not really, that's not really what's getting the traction I want to tell you about. They've become a part of a, of a, of a Bible study group in Gillette, Wyoming. And Mandy is her name. And she's very hands-on in terms of what her kids are exposed to in public school. This is Gillette, Wyoming. It's very much kind of Bible Belt country. But somehow, this wokeness has gotten a hold of the school board there. And she saw some of the highly inappropriate books that are on the shelf, sexual content, for little kids to have access to. And Mandy decided that she was going to run to be a part of the library board in Gillette, Wyoming. She put her name in and she was chosen. And she said she felt like a voice in the wilderness there. She almost quit. The meetings would not begin with a pledge of allegiance. They would not begin with an opening word of prayer. And there was a man from the public that was attending because the public can attend and he wrote them and was highly offended at the, the fact they would not pledge allegiance or do any of these things. Mandy spoke up as the lone voice on that board. The next meeting, they all stood. I pledge allegiance to the flag. They opened with the word of prayer. They are moving those books to another part of the library where they are shielded from the children. Now this Bible study group that she's a part of, along with my son, it started out a little over a year ago with about 20 people that were attending this Bible study group. Now there's over 70 that are attending. And five of them are running for open positions on the Gillette School Board this year. 
just one mom who was a homemaker. But she decided to do something about it, and it's turning the tide in that town. I'm telling you, that is happening all over our country. I don't know about the schools here in Overton. You know, one thing I like about the Mormons, we share a lot of their core values. We don't have their same theology on a lot of points. And it's up to God who gets into heaven and who doesn't. But I'm telling you, I'm looking for allies that share the moral compass that I have. And I hope you are too. And here in this little community, you can make a difference. I'm in Las Vegas where there's two and a half million people now. It's hard to have the impact you could have right here. But it is happening there too. And so there is the power of small groups. Let's go to the next one. This is the last thing. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't get dissuaded by all of the things that are trying to discourage and mislead and distract you. God is speaking to every one of you here about just where your voice can be heard and how you can be counted. Don't underestimate what God can do through your life. In this passage here, I'll just paraphrase it and then I'm finished. Not that I've already obtained, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on to take hold of the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. Every one of you, me too, even the young student that's right here back here, God has something he wants to speak into your life and a way he wants to use you. This is not a time to be distracted by things that don't matter. One of my favorite philosophers, you may have may not have ever heard of him, he was a Frenchman, his name was Blaise Pascal. And Pascal in his Pensee, these were his fragments. These were just his meditations and little proverbial sayings that he wrote to himself. Very devout Christian man back in the uh, late 1700s. Very philosophical. And he said, I marvel at how we as people spend so much time on things that matter so little and so little time on those things that matter so much. And I think that's something we all need to ask ourselves. Where are your priorities? Gone full circle. Man, I preached too long. I'm sorry. I'm done. Okay. But, but here it is. You might have some personal area in your life right now. See, when you're not preaching very often, you know, I preach all these great messages to my windshield. And so when I get a live audience, I just don't know when to shut up. So thank you for being patient. But what is it that is staring into your life as the unknown? What is it before you that you can say, I've never been this way before? God has a direction and he has it all under control. But us as a people, we don't need to wring our hands. Listen, we win one way or the other. And, and whether, it's, whether it is another season of blessing for us as a people, I pray it is, or whether it's the rapture of the church, that would be better yet, wouldn't it? But we are God's hands. 
where his eyes, where his feet. We are literally his body here on earth. And we need to employ God's word as we stare into the unknown before us. Amen? I'm just wondering, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. We can all stand right now. But I'm wondering if, if you're here and whether it's in a personal way in your life, God speaking to you about facing the unknown with faith and courage, being brave, even though you've never been that way before, or maybe it's you as a citizen. I don't know what a single one of you do with your life. You might be a teacher, you might be a business person, you might be retired, I don't know what it is. But a homemaker, whatever it might be. But God's speaking to you about how you need to pray. Not live by lies. Find your voice. Don't dismiss yourself because you're too small in its significance. But you need to focus on moving into that unknown. And you'd just like me to remember you in prayer as I close in prayer. But you'd like to be included in this because I just see your hand if you're here and God's speaking to you in any way. See, a number of you that are raising your hands. Lord, we come before you now, and we thank you that we have hope. You give us purpose. You give us a place. And there are things that we can do, whether it's our own personal unknown or whether it's who we are as Americans or citizens of Overton, Nevada. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us, and don't let us forget what you're placing on our heart right now. May we be difference makers as we move in faith and courage into the unknown. Bless us as we go to our homes. Just bless us. We thank you for your presence here today. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.